Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as follow politics for at the Herald Sun, anglophile, tea lover, at St Kilda FC member, cricket fan, confirmed bachelor. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Rob Harris. Hello. Hello, Rob. Welcome. Can you tell me, please, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Well, usually I just say I'm Rob Harris. Um, we, we sort of laugh that I, I've really, my name is like, like Madonna. I'm just Rob Harris. I'm not Rob. <laughs> Nobody calls me Rob. It's usually just Rob Harris. So yeah, <laughs> Rob Harris is the way usually. Sometimes I say I'm from the Herald Sun. Often, if I'm like at the hairdresser and people ask me what I do for a living, I say I'm a cleaner. Um, and I have been known to answer the phone when readers ring up complaining about things to say, I can't help you, mate, I'm just the cleaner. Um, so Bro. that's probably a bad habit. But I don't do it anymore. I did it in the old days. What what prompted you to say to the hairdresser that you're a cleaner the first oh, time? Just because I hate questions about what you do, you know, like, so, well, sometimes mm-hmm. I don't do it as much anymore, but, you know, like sometimes they want to know about your job and it's like, I don't want to talk about my job. I just want to get my hair cut. I hate, I hate, com- yep. I love talking to people and I'm, you know, like I, I work in a job where you talk to people all the time, but sometimes on a Saturday morning, you just want to get your hair cut and you don't want to have to talk about anything. So I just say I'm a cleaner. So it's probably it's probably lying, isn't it? Well, it depends on, on how you view your articles. <laughs> if anyone's seen my house at the moment, they definitely know I'm not a cleaner for the living. For a living, that's... <laughs> I had a bad day. I crashed my car today. Oh, Rob. I reversed into a Chinese lady's car. And um, no, well, it wasn't no too good. bad, but she couldn't speak English. So her daughter had to like... Translate, and then I forgot to get details, and now I'm just, and now everyone's asking me if I've got comprehensive insurance, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm just really bad at life, and um, and I, I think I've got comprehensive insurance, but I don't know. I just pay it. Like I don't want to be, you know. I just want things to just work and not have to deal with them. Yep. Anyway, sorry, I'm just waffling yep. already, aren't I? Well, no, no, that's okay. Are you both get, okay I'm from the, the accident? <laughs> yeah, we're fine. She kept honking, and I just thought it was some clown. It was in the underground car park, and you know how everything echoes? When I got into the car, the person around the other side yep. was honking at his daughter, waving, and then when I hopped in the car and started reversing, there was honking. Was kept, I'm like, that clown is still honking. Stop honking. And then I worked out it was actually the person behind me honking, and uh, I just crashed into the front. So anyway, that's fine. Oh. It's all done now. Yeah, but it's a pain dealing with insurance pain. companies sometimes. It's a total pain, and um, and then you've got to get, and then you've got to deal with the, you know, the um, what's the the guy that does the thing, the you know, the car people. What the do assessor. they do? You know, they what are the, what are their names? I want to say sheet metalworking, but it's not that. You know, that batter cars and fix doors at cars thing. Yeah, the car yeah, the repair car, guys, the, the well, ones that assess it, and then yeah, the guys that have fix a special it. Special name. The car. I can't remember what it is now. You know, like crash repair. People. Smash yeah, repairs. Like yeah, something like that. I thought there was some other special name, but Smash Repairs. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, how are you? I, I'm fine, thank you, Rob, but this isn't about me at all. No, it's all about me today, which which is, makes me very uncomfortable. Um, most people know I'm, I'm not very comfortable talking about me, so um, this will be a challenge, so I'm looking forward to it. We're doing well so far. Let's start with a simple one, shall Let's we? Go. Rob, what are you passionate about? Whew, that's a good, good question. 
I am passionate about tin tomatoes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and that's about it, really. That's all right. There's a specific brand yeah. that you're passionate about or just the concept is, of tin tomatoes? There is. I can't believe we've got onto this issue so quickly. Um, I'm a passionate supporter of SPC Ardmona tomatoes, and I'll talk you through the reason why. When I grew up, mm. I grew up um, uh, in a regional area of country Victoria, but when, my first job was in a place called Shepparton, which is, um, and, and the big yes. part of Shepparton, for those who know it, is tinned fruit and tomatoes. And um, there's a great company there called mm. SPC, which employs a huge, huge amount of people in the community and obviously sort of on flows to other parts of the community. And when SPC is going well, the community is going well. And, you know, in turn, when SPC struggles, the community struggles. And um, there, there used to be 300, believe this or not, 300 people in Victoria and southern New South Wales who grow tin tomatoes, uh, who grow tomatoes that go to the obviously the cannery for tins. Yes. You know, they, they don't grow on trees in tins. Um, but uh, and now there's about 10, less than 10, I think, because all these cheap Italian tomatoes, all these what? cheap Italian tomatoes have flooded our market over the past sort of 10 or 15 years. And they're sold most of the time at under cost price. Um, and it is completely, I think, you know, it's something like 80% of the tin tomatoes bought in Australia are now Italians and we don't buy our own tomatoes anymore. And the Italian tin tomato industry, were you to shine a spotlight onto it, is quite a dodgy sort of practice. Um, and they employ a lot of slave labour. There's a lot of sort of lack of transparency in their food chain of where they source their produce from, uh, labelling. Um, yeah, and it's just, yeah, it's sad. So I'm a passionate supporter. And anyway, having added to that, recently the, the Australian government sort of took anti-dumping action against Italian tin tomatoes, whacking a few tariffs on because they did a lot of investigations basically to find out that they are being sold at less than cost price. So, um, yeah, so I'm passionate about promoting the Italian, tin, uh, the Australian tin tomato industry. Oh, my God, I can't believe I've just discussed this. Everyone knows at, at they, work, they laugh at work about sort of... I'm always banging on about tin tomatoes. But it's an important issue because mm-hmm. every household in Australia, or just about, has a, has a you know, tin of tomatoes. And... and you know, we all you know we all carry on about buying tuna that's dolphin friendly, and we all carry on about you know not having palm oil in whatever products we buy. Yep. But we don't seem to care about you know the fact that the Italian tin tomato industry is pretty dodgy, um, and I don't think they're any better. Their tin tomatoes are any better than the Australian ones. So anyway, that's my that's my view of the world, um, and that's why I'm passionate about tin tomatoes. Reasonably so. Is, is, is that is that fair? Do you think that's ridiculous? People say I'm sort of a protectionist, but I'm, I'm not. I'm quite I'm quite happy for people to buy Italian t- tin tomatoes. I just want people to know the full information, so when they're buying their product, they have an informed choice to make. We are look. This is choice gone wild, gone podcasting. This is important news that people need to know. Rob, I think so. I think so. So I'm passionate about tin tomatoes. I'm passionate about baked beans uh, for similar reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I love baked beans for breakfast. I think it's because I sort of grew up, uh, and in my Twitter bio, I, I, I say I'm Anglophile. So, because, you know, I was born in England and my family's English, and sort of obviously, uh, despite living most of my life in Australia, sort of grew up in an English household. So, I'm a big fan of baked beans, and I get very annoyed when cafes nowadays don't have baked beans on their menu. Um, and then I hate even more when you question them and they sneer at you going, oh, no, we're not that type of place that sells baked beans, and that gets me annoyed too. So I'm passionate about tin tomatoes and baked beans. Oh, look, I'm probably passionate about some other things, um, but I think they're the two major ones. 
An important follow-up question, Rob. Why do you hate Italians? I know. I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't hate, hate Italians. They do wonderful things. They've contributed to our society very well. I don't hate the Italians at all. I did. I lived with an Italian for a, um, for a couple of... Actually, I lived with two Italians when I lived in England. And um, one... Uh, they were both quite weird people. Um, one swore she'd never go back and live in Italy again while Silvio Berlusconi was president because uh, the whole system was corrupt. And the other one, I mm. think, was sort of some mafia figure that got was, was living in Canada and had to run away. Um, so I didn't ask him too much about his history, but that he did steal some money off me <laughs> um, on Christmas Eve of all things, which, you know, I... Never been, this is not helping your argument. You know, when you're by yourself in a foreign country on Christmas Eve and you, you go home from work and you find out, I had this big box full of change, which would have been about 50 quid, I reckon, and it was all taken. Mm. And I found out later it was him. And he blamed the other guy, but I found out it was him later on. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I, this is very therapeutic already. I can feel it coming. <laughs> what was it like working at SPC? I know I never worked at SPC. I, so I worked at the newspaper. Oh, you didn't work? Yeah, no, I worked. Oh, apologies. No, 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 no I worked. So I worked. I worked for the newspaper in Shepparton, um, which, of course, you know, writes a lot of issues about SPC Ardmona. So, um, yeah, but I had friends that worked there, and I had friends that sort of grew pears and peaches and tomatoes. So, I know a bit about it. I, I, I could never do that work. Working in a cannery, a lot of people in Shepparton, they work. You know, in the seasons, they work two jobs. So they do their normal job, and then they do night shift at the mm. cannery, and then come back the next day. And they probably get about twenty or thirty extra thousand dollars a year. So it's a, I know a lot of people who did it when they had kids that were young, you know, to pay for their holidays or just to pay for their kids' schooling. So um, there's a lot of people in Shepparton that do that, um, and that's why it's sort of been such a huge part of that community. But no, I never worked there. I'm too lazy to do that. God, I've never done a hard <laughs> day's work in my life. A lot of fatigue-related injuries around yeah, Shepparton yeah, to exactly, report on. Exactly. Why do you think you've never done a hard day's work in your life, Rob? Journalists yeah, work yeah. hard. Well, real journalists. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I remember once we had a work experience student and the teacher came in to see the, uh, the, the, the student and sat down with us and asked us, you know, how he was going. And then I think she said something to us like, you know, it's good for the kids to see what it's like in the real world. And I looked at my colleague and we sort of looked at each other and laughed, saying, this isn't the real world. <laughs> and I don't think journalism is at all. I, I would, you know, I... I, I love it and I, I'm passionate about the trade, but I, um, I don't think for a second that, that we live in the real world. I think of, you know, my brother's a copper. Um, you know, he, he deals with some pretty horrible situations. I think that's real world. My other brother's a school teacher, you know, and mm. I just think, well, that's, that, that's pretty much real world too. But, you know, I could be, you know, collecting rubbish in the morning and, or carrying bricks all day. I, I reckon that'd be real world stuff. I don't think what I do is real world. I think I'm pretty lucky to have sort of a job. That, that's not real world. <laughs> An election campaign is the prime opportunity for journalists to reconnect yeah. with the real yeah. world, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Um, it is. I've just been. I've been on the bus with Malcolm Turnbull. I've just got back. I, I've had two weeks with him. Um, the frustrating thing is that nowadays, I, I think politics and political events are so you know, guarded and they're so sort of pre-arranged and sanitised that we don't get that connection from the real world. And, and we talk about Canberra being a bubble. Being on a bus and election campaign is a bubble within a bubble. Um, it's, it's, yes. it's, it's really not, you know. I, I, we went to the footy. We, um, we went down to watch uh, the Dreamtime of the G game. It was Richmond and Essendon. And, um, and we were flying back to Canberra that night. 
and they had a vote on the bus whether people wanted to leave halftime at the footy, and that vote got up. We were, we were, we were, we were catching a bus halftime from the G, and we're catching the private jet or whatever it is we fly on back to Canberra to be back at a reasonable time. And I just thought, this isn't real world. You're not connected with normal people. Who would leave the footy at halftime? You all got free tickets. We're sitting in the AFL members, you know, beautiful view of a, the best sports stadium in the world, and they want to leave at halftime. That's yeah. not real world. That's not crazy. That, that's not every man stuff, is it? I don't no. So anyway, that's a all. little example about how out of touch the Canberra Press Gallery is. I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay with the Herald Sun readers that, that were watching the footy. It wasn't a great game and it was pretty cold, but we got back to Canberra and it was colder anyway. Mm. So I don't know. <sighs> Sorry, was that a rant? <laughs> winter is coming, Rob. No, I bring it on. It is indeed. And winter has arrived well and truly in Canberra, for sure. What's your superpower? Whew. Um... My superpower is I tend to, I like singing a lot. And I don't know if this is a superpower, mm. but I, 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 have, I do have an ability to pick out words in sentences of things that people say to me and start singing. Um, you know, there's a woman at work called Rosemary and I often, you know, like to, there's a great tune by Edison Lighthouse, I think it is, that sings, Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes. And I, I can sing that to her. Um, <laughs> And um, there's a, I work with, oh, she'll give it away. There's a, uh, I can say this, no, no, you know, no one who, no, 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 no one, one in listens. my world will listen. Um, there's a woman called Katie Bice, um, and she's, she was my, mm. she's now, I think she's the deputy editor of the uh, Sunday Herald Sun now, but I used to get onto the phone and say, Katie Bice, Katie Bice, you know, for Sound of Music, <laughs> like Edelweiss. And she just thought I was yes. nuts, but... I think if anything, singing is my superpower. I, um, not that I'm very good at it, but I love it. And I just love singing it at every opportunity. So, yeah, I think that's my superpower. I don't think I'm very good at anything else. As we were sort of, as I sort of nodded at with insurance claims, I'm not very good at life. <laughs> um, life, life is an eternal struggle for me. Um, and I, I find it exhausting at times, but um, I just plough on through. Well, you managed to be upright and breathing this morning and every morning before yeah, this. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's right. It's, but it's day by day. It's certainly a day by day prophecy. <laughs> um, you never quite know what today, tomorrow is going to bring. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's a challenge, but oh, you've just got to meet these challenges head on sometimes. And uh, in a case uh, of me this morning, it was um, rear on, I suppose. Um, but, uh, mm. yeah, we, we keep going. And, you know, like, just, I don't know. Just little things get to me, like, you know, paying bills on time and um, paying yep. the rent. Thank God for... You know, I remember when I was younger and I didn't have internet banking to set up the automatic transfer and you'd have to go into the real estate yes. agent once a week, you know. Yes. I, I, could, I couldn't do that now. And I remember, like, I'd go in a day late. Oh, it doesn't matter. The, you know, who cares if it's a day... Because I don't care about money at all. Like, I... Anyone who knows mm. me will know I literally just do not care about money. Lack it, when I don't have money, I get anxious about not having money. But when I do have money, I, I'm, not, I'm not very good at saving it and I spend quite a bit. So I, because I have this loose relationship with money, I assume that most other people do. So if I pay my rent a day late, <laughs> then, um, then I, I would have thought they didn't care. But turns out they do. They get very annoyed. So, um, so I think electronic banking's that been my lifesaver because it means I just, you know, set up 
things for everything. And see, that's why I don't know about my insurance because I've just got this, you know, thing where it just sets it up and it just pays for it. And I don't, I don't even know how much mm. I pay a week or a fortnight. I've got no idea. I, I assume it's, I don't know, it could be 40, it might be 70. There's a seven. There's a number seven in there somewhere. It could be 47, it could be 70-something. I know there's a seven. That's all I know. I hope for your sake, Rob, that the seven's in the right column that allows you that when you've contacted your insurance company, they just go, it's okay, Rob, yeah, we'll look after do, it. Yeah, I because if they don't, I'm stuffed, I guess. Um, I'm probably <laughs> revealing too much about myself because I do work in a job where I often have to ask hard questions of people like Scott Morrison and Chris Bowen and Bill Shorten about how they're going to pay for things and how they get funded. And, mm. you know... Um, God, if they know how bad I was, I think no one had ever listened to any any bit of my economic commentary again. Don't be sucked in, though, Rob. Running the country isn't like running a household budget, despite what they tell us. It's interesting. Um, So Tony Abbott, we all spoke about Tony Abbott. um, But Tony Abbott's been in politics 20-odd years, um, and I think he's still got a mortgage on his place Mm -hmm. in Sydney, Um, So, which everyone sort of finds strange. And... um, I know some colleagues who sort of said, this is, this is crazy. This guy has been on, you know, probably up, upwards. Let's, let's say it's a back, he's been in, on the front bench for 15 years, so it's you know, a minimum of 200000 if, if not more. Um, yep. And he still has a mortgage? It's a bit weird. Because, um, I mean, he doesn't live in a palatial mansion like Malcolm. He just lives in the suburbs, really. Um, so, and, and, and so this person at work was justifying, look, you know, this is, this is a question, and, th- and this goes to his economics ability. What? Why, why has he still got a mortgage? But anyway, so I so sometimes I think well maybe I shouldn't reveal the full extent of my financial difficulties in paying bills on time because then they might think less of me. But I don't know. I'll just tell them. Who cares? Think of me what you will. Kids these days don't understand Rob that we used to have to physically take money out and go places to pay bills, um, even to the post office. You couldn't turn up there with your FPOS card and pay the bill. You had to turn up no, with the money well, and pay the bill. Also, you used to get a pay slip with. Cash in it, you know, like an, an envelope of cash. Um, and I, I knew people that just, there was an old guy who I used to work with, Keith Essen, who was, took me under his wing when I was a young cadet journalist. Keith's dead now. Um, <laughs> I sound like an old man telling a story. He's dead now. Um, but Keith apparently used to just go to the pub, you know, with his paid slip on a Friday, drink what, you know, drink, you know, probably a quarter of it or half of it knowing Keith, and then come home and I think he just used to throw the envelope on top of the um, on top of the um, the, the cupboard, and he, he used to tell this story about after three or four years, one day he was cleaning and then found all these envelopes full of cash. <laughs> He's completely forgotten about because he used to go home drunk and just strong. And this is the same. His dad was the editor of the newspaper, and he had this great. This is what I love telling people because I have a very messy desk. You might find that hard to believe, but I do. Yes. And people people look at it and they go, "That's messy." And I just like to say. Busy desk, busy mind, empty desk, empty mind, right? So it's like I've got lots of things going on. I know where everything is. Um, but this guy, mm. his dad, when, when he was the editor, he used to basically, everything was on his desk, he would throw in the bin and start the, start the, uh, the day with a clean desk and then it would be messy by the end of the day. <laughs> but that, that's the thing. He was at a daily newspaper, so nothing that happened yesterday mattered anymore. It was all about what happens the next day. That, that's how he justified it. Wow, yeah, moral of the story is... Don't leave stuff on his desk no, for exactly, signing. Exactly. Do you have a busy desk? Uh, I, I like order, but not to the 
not to the degree where it has to be sparse and, you know, the pen sits in this specific direction yeah. and those sorts of things. But a, a busy desk to me just gets it, – it, it attacks my anxieties of I am not in control right. of what's happening and here. I think other people are the same. I, I know I've got colleagues that look, would look at my desk and get anxious that – but I know where everything is. And, you know, I think it just – it's how you deal with it, isn't it? It's you know, and yeah. yeah it's a, it's a really interesting study of human nature, people's desks and their work habits. Um, I know when I like tweet a screenshot or something of my email, and people see that I've got you know seventeen hundred unread emails in their inbox, they, they they get really anxious about that and really you know freaked out. But I and but there are other people no. that do they do this inbox zero thing? It's like this. It's not a it's not a thing. It's a state of mind where you have to. You know, you, you need a. By the end of the day, you need no emails in your inbox. I would have thirty-five thousand emails yep. in my inbox because I just like everything being there, and I know I can do a search and it'll come up. And if, if it's not there, I freak yep. out. It's got to be there. But I just, you know, yeah. I offer that inbox zero though is a state oh, of I sickness. I agree. I totally agree. But you know what? I'm not going to do what they do to me. I'm not going to judge. If that, if that's what they like, I'm quite libertarian with this yep. stuff. If, if that's what they like, fine. It doesn't worry me. But don't tell me in turn, that I should be doing it. You know, if that's what suits you, that's fine. I'm happy the way I am. Let's all just get on and be different people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in my experience, you know that your desk is too messy when you come in one day and your co-workers have piled it up and set it alight. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to tell you a little story. Uh, my car is perhaps more messy than my desk. My car <laughs> is notoriously yes. messy. And there was one day um, I was I was playing cricket on a Saturday, and I think, yeah, it was it was a week or so before Christmas, so we had the cricket club Christmas party on the Saturday night, um, and so mm-hmm. I'd had quite a few beers, and I thought, you know, I'm going to leave the car at the cricket club. I'm not going to drive home. It's very, it's a very responsible. responsible thing to do. Um, sort of slept in. Oh God! Oh, I'm running late for work the next day. Get a cab to work or something. I get a lift off a friend or something. Um, <laughs> they go to work. It's a Sunday, quite hungover. Let's go to the pub after we knock off work. Cool, no worries. Right, so that's, you know, you, you get you get drunk on the Sunday night. Monday morning, oh, sleep yep. in again, go to work, get a lift or get a cab to work. You know, might have another beer after. You know, it's a week before Christmas. Everyone wants to catch up for drinks, don't they, before Christmas? Yeah. But suddenly you get to Thursday and you go, oh, my car's still <laughs> down the cricket club. And you get a phone call from the police because, you know, Shepparton is a small town... <laughs> Some, of the, some yep. of the cops you might have played footy with or been involved at the footy club with, and they ring up, hey, uh, Harrow, people call me Harrow, some people. They go, <laughs> your car, that red laser, is it down the Creed Club? Oh, bloody hell, yeah. yeah. It's been down there since Saturday. It's Thursday now. <laughs> yeah, mate, it's been broken into. Oh, bloody hell. You oh, know, so, no. you know, get a mate to give you a lift down. You meet the coppers there, they're fingerprinting or whatever. And they've gone, oh, God, oh, God is it bad? I've gone... Yeah, it looks like they've uh, dumped a couple of rubbish bins in the back. <laughs> to which I've gone, yeah, bastards. <laughs> but no, no, no dumped rubbish bins. Everything in the back was mine. But having said that, I had a, I had a bag of seat because I used to love running, you know, the music at the Creek Club on a Saturday night. So I yes. would take, I had this old, you know, bag, sports bag full of my CDs. That was taken. They took all my CDs. Um, so I had to go. I had to start again. Oh, I, I think. I think. I'm, no, before iTunes. So everything was on CD. So I had to start again. Ugh. And what do you do when you um when you have to start your CD collection again? It's quite hard. Um, the first CD I think I ever got was Jimmy Barnes' Soul Deep. 
So I didn't want to make the same mistake <laughs> yes. twice. Uh, so I bought Roy Orbison's Greatest Hits, which I still have today. It's, it's, it's on my cabinet over there and I quite often play it because it's beautiful. He's got a wonderful voice, the big O. Yes. Well, I remember very sadly um, because when I was learning to play guitar, uh, the people that I was learning to, some friends I was learning to play guitar with got me into the oh. Travelling Wilburys because the chords were very yeah. simple uh, and it was easy to play along with. And, of course, Roy Orbison, uh, one of the original Wilburys, died before the album was released, so didn't even make the film clip of their first song, yeah. which was their big hit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just... I still hear his voice and see the guitar in the rocking chair and think very fondly if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be half the Absolutely. guitarist I was today. They had two today. great songs, End of the Line and um, mm-hmm. uh, what was the other one? They, uh, uh, Handle with Care. Uh, two great yep. songs. Wonderful group when you think of the individuals that were in the Travelling Wilburys. George Harrison. Phenomenal and two yeah, big yeah, albums, exactly. I'll point yeah. out. So more super groups. I'm for more super groups. There are... They're, they're a bit antiquated. Yes. We, need, we need to bring them back. Will we get more supergroups as people like Beyonce and, and Katy Perry and Pink age and they determine that they can use, if they combine their powers, that, you know, we'll get that, that sort of huge... Although Beyonce started in a supergroup. Well, really, they weren't a supergroup at the time. They probably are now, though, aren't they? But, um, yeah, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Um, I'd like to think so. Maybe we could get, like, Ricky Martin. We could assemble one. I'm um, like... We could put Ricky Martin into a group with Michael Bublé, um, mm-hmm. uh, Jake Bug, who, um, and then someone else who's a bit weird. You know, um, I don't know. Yeah, Harry yeah, Styles. Yeah. yeah, Harry Styles. That's great. And they, and they could be what we could. What, what could we call them? We could call them the. Um, I'll come up with a name by the end of it. Um, but that'd be good. More supergroups. Anything with Bublé in it'd be great. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh. It's similar to Tony Abbott's uh, in, like, the fact I like Suspicious Minds. Uh, It's great. But, look, it's probably... I I love Sinatra. I love doing My Way. I love doing New York, New York. Um, Because I just think if you can get the... You know, people think, you know, oh, New York, New York, it's easy. It's actually... His phrasing is just incredible, Sinatra. And his voice is amazing. And if you can... Just pick up the little mm. phrases. I just, I just love it. I just love belting out New York, New York, and My Way. I think My Way is just a very special song. So, I like doing those. Things. I do a bit of Billy Joel. I do. I like My Life. I don't care. Nice. What yes. You see. And but look, I'd love to be able to do Springsteen, but I can't. I, I just don't have the voice. I'm more of a crooner voice or a musicals voice. Um, mm. I don't have that rock voice. But, uh, but yeah, I, I love karaoke. I love. I just love going to watch people do karaoke. It's it's great fun. <laughs> oh, totally, and I, I I'm going to extend your theory about desks to karaoke songs. In that they, you know, when you ask people what their karaoke one or two songs are, they are very telling as to who the yeah, person right, really okay. is. It's interesting. Well, what does what does my way in New York, New York say about me? Well, as much as anything, you have a, a penchant for the classics <laughs> yeah. that you. Uh, aspire to be something beyond that you are right now uh, and that you, look, reckon you could hold your own with the mafia. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, I forgot another one I like to do. I like to do All Out of Love by Air Supply. The, the, oh, that's so great. That's greatest, such a great karaoke song. I think song. the greatest Australian love song, really. I know Reminisce is a great song, oh. but 
all that I love is just the air supply. Don't don't have the sort of the the love and recognition they deserve. I think they're just a great band, you know. There's some controversy there. Yes, it's a great song, the greatest well, Australian love song one, though. <laughs> What's the one that? Uh, oh, Beardy McBeardface. <laughs> um, I can tell you a better <laughs> one actually. I've just thought of a better. Into my arms yes. by Nick Cave and the in the Bad Seas is probably one. Um, yes. No, it's uh, beautiful. No, no. Um, it's, a, what, it's a good Australian love song, all right? Maybe I get a bit carried away when it comes to things, but you know, it, let's just say it's one. Hang on, not a Herald Sun journalist uh, you know, that's stuck in hyperbole. <laughs> let's just say it's one of the great Australian love songs, and, and, and let's, let's agree on that and move on. <laughs> Brian Cadd is the gentleman that I'm thinking Little of. Little ray of sunshine. Yeah, hello. It's not love in the you know, bumping naughty bits sense, it's but it's love in the, the yeah, most it, innocent it sense. It's a great song. It's a wonderful song. Yeah. Rob, where is the line between public and private for you? Um, I knew this question was coming and I should have prepared better for it. Um, I'm glad you uh, haven't. I guess... I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm quite happy. That I, I've spoken quite... You know, I'm, I'm quite free to admit my faults, which I have already... Um, I, I guess I don't speak a lot about, you know, private life or whatever or family or sort of stuff like that. But um, And I, I'm conscious of... Uh, I'm actually conscious of, um, you know, I do have a bit of a, a few opinions on Twitter, but I, I'm, I'm conscious mm. of, like, on social media, probably not putting a lot of sort of political beliefs and things like that. But having said that, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I had political beliefs before, strong political beliefs in, in, in some aspects before I came to Canberra. But in three years, they've been many ways sort of beaten out of me where I sort of have a, an apathy towards policy in many ways. Maybe not apathy is not the right word, but I sort of, I got rid of them and I've opened my mind and quite happy to willing, you know, quite happy to be convinced by arguments now more so than, you know, being tribal, supporting either sort of one side of politics mm. or the other. So, um, you know, often people care, ask me about what sort of policy areas I care about. And I don't, like, I'm, I'm to say apathetic is wrong, but I, I'm quite sort of, sort of almost disinterested with a lot of them. I'm quite happy to sort of be won over by arguments and things like that. So, um, but I, yeah, so I'm, I'm conscious not to put a lot of sort of views out in the sphere about what I think about politics, just because of my job. Um, but then again, I don't really have many anymore. But, you know, like, you know, um, yeah. So so that's probably, I, I guess, an area where I tend to be a bit private. Um, uh, but not, not really a whole lot else anymore. I'm conscious of the jihadi threat, so I don't like to put where my address is too much. Mm. And I, <laughs> I say that <laughs> flippantly, but, you know, we did... We did uh, you know, work work does, you know, they quite often tell you you should have a, you know... Um, you know, a lot of my colleagues have had quite serious threats from serious sort of groups, whether they're pretend mm. people, you know, who are just a bit crazy or, 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 or what. So, you know, um, and when you work in Parliament House and when you work in buildings that are big targets, you know, we quite often get the emails around that, you know, the federal police have said, you know, you need to be careful or we're having more security guards. And I don't think about this, so I'm just sort of raising this, but, you know... That prospect is always yes. raised at work. Just, you know, be careful. Don't upload a photo of a place where you're there at the time. Maybe do it when, once you've left or something like that. 
Um, not that, not that, God, I would be a threat, you know, a jihadi terror target in any sort of situation. I'm probably more likely to be run over by a bus. But I, I suppose <laughs> those things are always, um, work always makes you be aware of that, whether they're actual, real or imagined threats. Mm. Who, who knows? But anyway, yeah. When you get that email from the federal police telling you all to assume your secondary identities is a pretty good idea. Oh, exactly. And look, on. a colleague who I won't name basically had a very explicit threat that, um, and they sort of laughed about it and the AFP told them they had to take it seriously and it's like, oh God, but like it was quite an explicit and detailed threat. Um, and I know a lot of people out there roll their eyes and go, oh yeah, whatever, whatever, but um, you do, I mean, when you sort of, we, we're in a privileged position where we actually find out a lot of detail about sort of situations that we never print or never publish because of a range of reasons, but um, you, you do sure. actually hear of these sort of direct and detailed threats, and it does. God, it, it, it makes you shudder. But um, but I know a lot of people out there sort of just roll their eyes and go, "Oh, it's imagined and it's used for political purposes to beat things up." But I, 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 I'm not quite sure that's always the case. So yeah, I didn't expect to be talking about ISIS <laughs> this early. Um, but yeah, I've, I've actually been reading quite a lot about ISIS lately, just because it's an interesting sort of part of our our culture at the moment. So yeah, anyway. Mm. I'm I'm sure that all of this is enhanced by the fact that we're in an election year and, like, not just all the crazies, but all of the people with grudges come out uh, and have their opinions, not only to journalists, but particularly to politicians and, and those kinds of things. It, I'm sure there could be some tense moments around the hallowed halls of Parliament. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I think when there was that... I mean, I, I, I'm so apathetic towards all this stuff. It, uh, it's, it's not funny. Um, and, you know, I, I walk to work and all that stuff and I think, oh, nothing's ever going to happen. But then I, I guess when you see, uh, you know, things happen, you know, and security upped and it really freaked me out actually when they started to be... Parliament House is always quite quaint, you know. There was a couple of, you know, federal police there, but now they've got big machine guns and whatnot. And it does freak me out a bit because I don't like guns very much. Um, yeah. But um, anyway, it is what it is. It's just the world we live in nowadays, isn't it? Unfortunately. But um, yeah. yeah, it sure is. Do you have any ink, Rob? Ink, as in tattoos. Mm. Oh, yes, sir. No, but I thought I might get one. Um, really? Yeah, I, I'd like a ship on my arm, but I am. Um, I, I don't really have the physique. I, I sort of think you need a good physique to have a tattoo. You know, like. Good arms or whatever if you go to the beach, but no. so and I and I don't have that. So, um, but I wouldn't mind a ship. I quite like ships. I um I recently I was recently in England and I come from a place called Bristol, um, which is a big mm. uh, sort of maritime place. Uh, was a big port for many years, um, and a lot of ships around. And I sort of I don't like I don't like being on ships, but I like looking at ships, and um, I quite. Um, I quite like, you know, the idea... I saw this really nice sort of design of a ship and I thought, that'd be nice as a tattoo. But in re- the reality is I'd never get... Mm. A, I know, I'd probably never get a tattoo. I'd be too scared of the needle and the thing. <laughs> it's just pain. Um, yeah, I've been wanting to do... I've been wanting to do an investigation of to which politicians have ink. Uh, and I, I think that might make a nice list. But I'm not quite sure they'd all be forthcoming. But then I guess if you put a direct question to their office... And they lied about it, and um, they were found out later on. That looked pretty bad. So the best thing would be for them to tell the truth. But I guess they don't get asked that much if they have a tattoo. So it'd be interesting to see whether they did tell the truth or not. 
Dastiari would have to have a tramp stamp, wouldn't he? Uh, I, no, I don't reckon he would. I, look, I think there would be... I think there'd be quite a few women I could think of that have tattoos in, in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, there's one I can think of, but I, I probably shouldn't reveal who that is. Um, <laughs> I always think that... I always imagine that Dougie Cameron, who's the Scottish senator... Um, yes. He, he's like... Reminds you of an old, you know, sort of union, you know, union guy. And they've all got... In my experience, all union foremans often have, you know, like Scottish accents. So um, um, you can imagine he's got a few, like, I love mum and a big anchor up, at, up on his forearm and whatnot. Yep. But, of course, you only ever, the majority of time, you only ever see these people in, in suits and long sleeve shirts. So, um, But I am fascinated about ink, um, but I don't think I could get a tattoo. My brother has a tattoo and, um, yeah. and mum freaked out and he was 40, I think 39 when he got it. And mum wasn't very happy at all. Because I, I remember one of my fond memories... I don't have many memories from my childhood for some reason. But one memory is when my brother came home. My brother had long hair and he got his ear pierced. And mum came home and saw it and just freaked out. Like she was basically crying and screaming like a two-year-old throwing a tantrum. I, I think that stuck yep. with me. And I know my brother like got... was the, like My brother got... My brother um, and my sister-in-law were really sad. They had a stillborn baby. Their first baby was stillborn and um, at full, full term and everything. And, um, mm. you know, so, um, but very much, you know, it's still part of the family. You know, we still talk about Lawrence and all that stuff. And, and I know he, he got his footprint, um, Lawrence's footprint tattooed on the top of his foot just as a, you know, reminder of him. And it's yep. like, it's really cute, you know, and it, it's quite charming, really. Um, it's beautiful. But then mum, mum freaked out. But then after, like, I took her aside and said, "Look, you need to just grow up here and just accept that you got a tattoo, and it's a lovely tattoo. It's remembering his son, you know, his firstborn son, and we shouldn't really, you know, freak out about that. But you know, mum's mum's been on a journey with us all, and she's a lot wiser now, I think. <laughs> I can only imagine family dinners at the Harrows, yeah. man. Yeah. What are you going to achieve in the next twelve months? Um, um, good question. I, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, I am waiting for the day where the man comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, mate, we've caught you. You're a fraud, right? We, <laughs> we're going to ship you off. And I, I talk about <laughs> one of my, one of my very good mates is a, um, is very, holds a very high position in a political party. I won't say who or where, um, but, and mm. he quite often rings me, and he's you know on the federal executive, so you know like he he obviously is, you know um, learns a lot of stuff. Not that he tells me anything; he's the worst source I've ever had in my life. But yeah, he knows, he knows things, things, and we often laugh that we were cadet journalists together in Shepparton, and um, we often laugh about the fact that now I work in the federal press gallery interviewing the prime minister, and he basically is a faceless man in many ways. And um, and we sort of laughed that who would have thought that you know we used to we used to go on long lunches on Friday and order order a couple of steak sandwiches and just get drunk and you know um, and just not pay our bills and all those sort of things and we sort of laughed that we're in a position now that <laughs> some people somewhere in the world might think was privileged and important um, and and we often laugh that you know when that guy comes and taps me on the shoulder and puts me in the van saying you're a fraud, he'll open the paddy wagon and he'll be sitting, and my mate will be sitting in the back and he'll go, oh, they got you too. And I've gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was only a matter of time, mate. He goes, yeah, yeah, it was good while it lasted, wasn't it? (laughs) 
So um, if I could convince people that I'm not a fraud over the next 12 months, uh, that'd be great. But see, I didn't go to university and I don't you know, have economics mm. degrees and I didn't study journalism and I don't, you know, um, I feel very inferior. Well, I'm surrounded by some incredibly smart people, even just at work, you know, don't, not to mention sort mm. of policy people and public servants and pollies and all that. Um, because there are a lot of really, really clever, bright people. Um, you know, like yeah. just David Uren, who uh, is the economics editor of The Australian, is just an incredible brain and mind and um, very articulate and very smart. And uh, I sit like 10 metres away from him and I just sort of, I, I, I come home and talk about goggle, I go to work and talk about goggle box and he's talking about, you know, deficits and, you know, all that stuff. And I just think, oh God, I'm just a fraud. <laughs> Little known fact, though, David Uren doesn't get his, his rent paid no, on time. He doesn't. He doesn't indeed. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, if I convince my other people and probably myself, probably more importantly, to be a little bit reflective, self-reflective, over the next 12 months that I'm not a fraud, uh, I, it would have been 12 months well spent. Mm-hmm. Well, I endorse that you're not a fraud, Rob, and that's just in the course of this <laughs> short conversation. Uh, thank you. I, I want to thank you, please, for your time, for the stuff that you said. Please know that the things you said are very special and you're highly valued, thank Rob. You thank very you very much. It's been a, a wonderful, therapeutic 45 minutes. <laughs> so fun. Obviously, you're on Twitter and, and do the tweeting thing. Are there any other social accounts that you want people uh, to be aware of? Um, oh, look, I, I Instagram. I, I'm on Facebook. Um, yeah, you can get me there. R. Harris 334. Uh, for those asking, 334 is a, an important number in the history of Australian cricket. It's Mark Taylor's highest score and also mm. Don Brabham's highest score. And it was the highest Australian test score for a long, long time. So that is the significance. Mm. So R. Harris 334 uh, is in tribute to my childhood hero, Tubby Taylor. And that's all my social media accounts. So that's where you can find me. Does that mean that then at some point R. Harris 334 will get changed to... Uh, Harris air conditioner <laughs> Fujitsu <laughs> uh, no no it won't I think I'll keep it at 334 um, it's probably a little more poetic yeah it is it is indeed this has been humans of Twitter and I can confirm that at R Harris 334 is in 